Well, good morning, church. It is so great to be with you. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here. Thrilled that you're a part of this. And I got to tell you, I just love you guys. I'm not just saying that. I really do. I made a joke last week, if you're here, about LaCroix. And so many of you have sent me LaCroix jokes this week. And it just warms my heart. And so I'm getting on social media and emails and people just like, oh, this is what I think about LaCroix. And if you were here, I talked about, you know, expectation and disappointment and be more than you seem. And, and so I just thought uh, I had a fun week with all your guys' reactions. I wanted to share a few of them with you so you get to enjoy what I get to enjoy from you guys every week. So without further ado, here's some of your responses to my LaCroix jokes last week. Uh, LaCroix tastes like the end of a nine volt battery. It's pretty good. Uh, if I had been in the middle of a desert for three days with nothing to drink and stumbled upon an ice chest full of cold LaCroix, I would keep searching for a drink. <laughs> or this one. LaCroix is like the telephone game you play as a kid. Someone 14 people away whispers orange, but by the time it gets to you, the words are different and you just have to guess what it might have tasted like if it had flavor. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I, I love this. Uh, but here's what I got to tell you. Um, if you work for LaCroix, I'm sorry. I did not mean to like launch a church campaign against LaCroix. It's been pretty hilarious. Uh, we had a staff meeting this week and uh, not by my, uh, my doing, but there was no LaCroix served at the staff meeting. And it was like half the staff was like ready to mutiny over it. And so our, our staff is split. I think you guys are split. And it's another reminder that Jesus brings all people together. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Whether you love LaCroix or you hate it, we're glad you're here. Well, today we're continuing this series, Where We Go From Here, Where We're Going As A Church. What does the future look like in this place? And a number of you noted last week, it's, this series feels a little bit different. Here's how I would describe it. We're having a family meeting for a month. We're talking about how do we as the family, as the church, live out these things that we talk about all year long. These things that we say we believe all year long. How do we actually decide this is what it looks like here. And so if you're part of this, you get to be a part of the family conversation with us as we figure this out. If you're a guest with us or you're new to this, you're like, hey, I don't know uh, if I am in the, in the family yet. You are so welcome to sit in, listen in. This gives you a great indication of this is something you want to be a part of or not. You're getting it behind the scenes. This is how we live out and how we will live out these different things that we believe. So if you got your journals, I encourage you to get those out. Go to week two. You'll see a spot to take notes there. And like we do every week, we ask you to take advantage of that. Write down, use this in your personal study time or with your life group throughout the week. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. You got a physical analog Bible with you, encourage you to get that out. If you got a Bible app on your phone, uh, we use this every single week. We use our Bible. So every week I encourage you in some form or another, uh, please read for yourself. Uh, it'll mean more when you learn how to dive into God's word and not just hear about it. And so we want to equip you to do that for that purpose. Now, last week, uh, I rolled out a number of new things. And if you missed it, I encourage you, please go online and watch that. Uh, that was a big message of unveiling a lot. Talked about the new logo, uh, rolled that out. We talked about window clings that are now a part of our church. And it was so fun to watch you guys uh, heartily embrace this. And, and I've seen a number of window clings on cars throughout the week, and it's been an encouragement to me. But what I love about it is you guys didn't just stop there. You took the spirit of it. And the point is, we want to equip you to be the church. And so it's not just like you come to church, you you are the church, so talk about the church everywhere you go. Invite people into this community. And a number of you have done this and then went beyond it. I was sent a number of pictures this week. Uh, people going, check this out. Uh, for example, it's not just 
for cars, you can put it on tractors, you know? And, and so I saw that little ALC P&W right there, looking pretty good. Uh, someone noticed the construction on the corner, like, hey, someone's wearing a hard hat with the ALC logo. That's awesome. He goes to our Sandy campus. Uh, and then uh, one parent said to me, hey, our kids don't have vehicles, but they wanted to get involved. So they put license plates on their bikes. Which I thought, yeah, isn't that so sweet? It's just awesome. But you guys are getting it. You're understanding, oh, you are the church. We are the church. It's not like we go and visit church on Sunday. We go and live this out, and we're trying to give you tools to equip you to do that. That was all rolled out last week. We also rolled out our new mission statement as a church, and hopefully you are seeing this everywhere. Uh, giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. This is where we're going. This is what we're going to focus on. And everything else is getting shaped by this idea. And so this month, we're unpacking this idea, and I'm showing you in a number of practical ways, here's how this is causing us to rethink what we're doing as a church. And so as we look at this statement, here's the, the question I want to wrestle with today as we begin to explore, okay, how do we own this mission? How do we live this out? Here's the question. Is the gospel good news for you? Because this is where we got to start. And so before we can ever make the gospel good news for others, it has to be good news for us. Now, and I realize today in this room and those of you watching online that, that there may be a number of you that say, um, it's not good news for me. I'm just checking it out. Well, we're glad you're here. You're absolutely welcome to this. I would hope that you get to a point where you can say, yeah, it is good news for me. But here's the deal. I, I talked about this last week. It cannot only be good news for you. If the gospel is only good news for you, it will cease to be good news for others. And so we have to begin this process where we, we uh, uh, you know, own it, we adopt it, we experience it as good news, but then it becomes good news for others. It has to be both of these things. And I talked about last week is that we have a shocking amount of people and examples of where the gospel becomes bad news. And, and, and here's the deal. I, I'm a pastor. I grew up in the church. I, I, I love the church as much as anyone. But we have to acknowledge that the church has done a ton of damage to people. We have to acknowledge that there's a lot of stories that come out about the good news becoming bad news. And instead of getting defensive about it, I'd encourage us, let's listen. Let's, let's you know, ponder that. Let's, in a posture of humility, go, God, what can we learn from this? I read a stat recently. It says, in separate studies... Josh McDowell, LifeWay Research, the Barna Group, and secular researchers, including at UCLA, have all ended up figures between 69 and 80% of evangelicals in their 20s who leave the faith. If you love the church, if you love Jesus, this should hurt to read that statistic, how high that percentage is. Now, we might give any number of reasons. Oh, you know, people in their 20s are selfish. I don't know what reason you'd give for that. Here's what I would tell you. I think to a lot of them, the, the good news doesn't look good anymore. You see, a lot of them grew up where, where it was kind of part of what they did. But then by the time you get in your 20s, you have to decide for yourself, do you think this is good news? And if you're not convinced by the time you're in your 20s, you're not going to keep being a part of it. And so we have to wrestle with what happens when the gospel no longer sounds like good news to people who once thought it was. I can give you an example. Uh, one of my favorite bands ever is a group called Under Oath, a music band. I don't recommend you go and look them up because most of you will hate this music, okay? I'm warning you now. Uh, this is uh, rock music, but, but I have loved this group called Under Oath for a lot of years. I've seen them numerous times in concerts. In fact, one time I got to go on stage with them. Uh, this is me taking the photo of them, this sea of people out there, but I'm literally on stage at this concert 
sounded terrible, but it was an amazing experience being on stage for the whole thing. I have followed these guys for a lot of years. And here's what's crazy. If you go to an Under Oath show, uh, these are the rock shows. You know, these are, these are the, the crowd of people that probably most of them don't come to church on the weekend. Just kind of the vibe of who's at these shows. And yet, I used to watch as Under Oath in the middle of their set would say, hey, we don't know why you guys are here today, but we want to let you know that everything we do is because of Jesus Christ. And I would watch like this silence, you know, go across the sea of people. Everyone's going, what? Jesus Christ. You know, they're going, you guys are believers? And it was just this confusing thing. But I thought, how cool that these guys in that arena are telling people about Jesus Christ. And I, I just love this. And, and so I followed them for a lot of years. Well, a number of years ago, they broke up as a band. If you've ever followed a group that you love and they stopped making music, you know the heartbreak of that. And I was like, what a bummer. I love these guys' music, but no more music. Well, a number of years go by and all of a sudden they get back together and they release a new album this year. And I could not wait. I pre-ordered it. I was all set to go. And as soon as I started listening to it, I realized this is not the same band. Something has fundamentally changed. Now, partly was, was their sound, but also I realized the lyrics are dramatically different than they used to be. And so I began to, to research up on like, what's going on with these guys? They, they don't sound like they used to sound. And I found out that these guys who used to talk about Jesus Christ uh, no longer follow him. They, they no longer consider themselves Christians anymore. And I began to, to read up on this going, what happened? And I came across a video where they were uh, sharing their thoughts on Christianity. And I want to show this to you. And here's what I want to encourage you. It's easy to watch them like this and get defensive and to accuse the person, go, oh, well, you shouldn't think that and you shouldn't believe that. But part of us being the church is learning to listen to other narratives, even people we, we disagree with. Learning to listen to others as a sign of, of caring because we love other people, so we listen to their perspective. And so I want to encourage you to listen to this. And, and again, as a fan of their music and as a Christian, this is hard for me to hear. But I want to listen to their perspective to understand what happened to the good news from their point of view. Check this out. If I was still a Christian, I'd probably be dead. Christ was not a white man. He was not a Christian. He was a Jewish man. He essentially got thrown out of his hometown, and then he was murdered. Like, like real fringe stuff. Like everything that we, that, that Christianity was built on was essentially rebellious. Somewhere along the way, modern Christianity became synonymous with being conservative. And I don't know how that really happened. It's like I, they're selling a product. Yeah. It's, like, it's like perfection. You're looking at the really good looking pastor with his wife and his beautiful kids and they seem so happy. It's almost like one of those movies or TV shows where behind the curtains it's really, really ugly, but they're almost selling. If you buy into these rules and you follow this and you do what we do, you can also be like this. Modern Christianity is made by people. All modern religions are the organized part of it, right? And I think when you begin to debunk the system, when you begin to ask questions, when you can begin to pry the attic door open a little bit, everyone goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And I think the reason is, is because it's man-made and, and woman-made, the only thing we have is the rules, right? Like, you're not allowed to question. Isn't that the funny part? Exactly. You know, they, they tell you that, you know, if you, if you question Christianity, that you're lost. I'll pray for you. You know, that, that just sounds so crazy to me. That couldn't someone be happy for you? That you want to you enlighten yourself, that you want to like 
travel the world and have an open mind. When you believe in the rules and not the reason, then you've got an issue. The Christian community is what ruins Christianity for me. Because when you need help, if you're someone of, of some sort of, you know, supposed to be a role model or some sort of thing, you know, it's very alienating. Like they were putting out magazines about me being a drug addict and stuff. and. The whole Christian world was just like, that's the reason why Underworld's breaking up, or that's, it's that guy, that guy, you know, like, there was no help. No one's, no one's like, hey man, like, what's up, you know, in the Christian world. The, place, the places that I was the most accepted and people would listen to me and talk to me were the people that weren't Christians. And those were the other bands that we would be on tour with that weren't that way, you know, and, I, and I'm telling these people and relating to these people that they're just normal human beings. You know, like, let's talk about it, but in a Christian man, Let's not. And that seem, doesn't that seem opposite? Doesn't that seem like very unloving and very unaccepting? Belief isn't the prison, expectation is the prison. I don't know your reaction to hearing that narrative, that their perspective. The opening line, he says, if I was still a Christian, I'd probably be dead. That's an incredible statement about good news becoming bad. He tells a story about his own struggles and how it was no one in the church who came around him, who rallied around him, who helped him, who supported him. It was other people outside of the faith that caused him to go, this isn't as good as I once thought it was. And as the church, we have to own this and go, what happened? What, what went wrong? And, and there's countless stories like this. And so here's one of the things that I've been wrestling with is, is that if we have the power to make the gospel bad news, which we just saw Christians do have that power. We have the power to make it good news. Now, the reality is this, the gospel starts as good news. We don't turn it into good news. It starts like that. But there's this weird sense where we have the ability to shape it in such a way that we can make it bad news for others. That all they would see of the gospel would be bad news if we don't live it out. And if we can do that, we can also make it good news. Let me say it a little bit differently. The gospel continues to be good news when we give ourselves for others, but it stops being good news when we focus only on ourselves. See, the gospel begins as good news, but there's this inherent fragility in the gospel where God entrusts us with it. He, he could just say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just reveal myself to everyone. I don't need you guys. I'll show them the good news, but he doesn't do that. He puts it into our hands and says, you show them. You live it out. And if we don't live it out, it will stop being good news for others. They will never see it until someone says, I'm going to continue to make sure this is good news for others. There's this weird dynamic there. And I don't know if, if you've experienced this yourself, but this is deeply personal to me. I have a family member, part of our extended family, who I've prayed about for years and years that this guy would, would come to, to know Jesus the way I know Jesus. I have spent hours and hours and, and conversations over a decade with this guy, telling him everything I could about how good this good news is. And just for whatever reason, it has not clicked. He has not wanted to be a part of it. But I, I, I keep trying. And I remember one time I finally got him to come to church for a little bit. And, and so he started to be a part of this and he started to meet other Christians. And I was going, oh, this is going to be amazing. Maybe someone else will be able to help and, and we'll be able to say it in such a way that makes sense for him. And, and one night, one of these other Christians who had began this friendship with them decided he was going to evangelize my family member. 
And so he came with this very aggressive technique and he sat him down and he said, hey, do you know that if you die tonight, you're going to hell? My family member went, what? And he said, yeah, do you know that you're gonna, you're gonna go to hell because you're a liar and you're a sinner? And he begins just beating him over the head with this in an attempt to show him ultimately that he had good news. But I can tell you that after the fact, this pushed him so much further away from the church and from God. And I grieved over this and said, why is this what the church does to people? Why is this happening to this guy that I care so much about and want so badly to experience what I experience? It led me to write a blog post uh, shortly after that called Spam Evangelism, where I addressed some of the techniques that we use as Christians that often hurt people when it comes to their understanding of Jesus. And I got it from an article I read where a guy coined that phrase and, and he set up an interesting situation. Let me, let me quote this guy named Mike Betley. He said, a college classmate decided to walk down Central Avenue at lunchtime and ask women to kiss him. He wanted to see how many people he would have to ask before someone took him up on it. After being repeatedly cursed, ignored, and slapped a couple of times, the 98th woman gave him a kiss. Using the logic of spam evangelism, he might say, it was worth it because I actually got one person to kiss me. But I wondered about the other 97 women who might be more hardened than ever, more suspicious, and more wary of men approaching them on the street. In the same way, I think a lot of unbelievers have been hardened by aggressive witnessing technique. And I basically quoted that and I commented on how this had been the experience with this person in my own family going, this is what happened to him. And so I just said, how about we care about the other 97 too? And not just say, well, I got a result and so it must be great. If we are damaging others, if we are making it bad news for others, we have to be aware of that. And there's so many people who can tell you stories. And I hear them all the time about, well, this is what was said to me in the name of God. This is what a pastor said to me. This is what someone in the church said to me. This is what was done. I just grieve over that. And so I wrote this post on a blog and just said, hey, church, let's do better. I was blown up for this. I, I, I you know, this somehow went viral and the people who do that technique uh, became on their national website. My article got linked. And, and so I got the, the level of hate from Christians that I had never previously got in my life. I was called everything from a heretic to a blasphemer. They were calling for the church to fire me because I wasn't a good pastor. I remember thinking, this is how the church treats people. I, I began to see what this family member of mine was feeling. Going, I, I understand what it feels like. Now, thankfully, I have enough experience with Jesus uh, that's good and enough experience with the church that's good to balance all of that out. But for a lot of people, if that's all you know, that's all you've seen, it's just overwhelming. And you go, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I, I want to read something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, because we might think this is a new problem for us today. We, we, we have to figure this out, but the reality is it's not a, a new problem. That, that there have always been this situation where someone had an experience with God and it was only good for them and it wasn't good for others. And Jesus addressed that. In fact, there were religious leaders in his day who had experienced the goodness of God, but were not translating that to the people around them. And Jesus took issue with it. Let me show you what he says in Matthew 23, verse one, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. This is the symbol of, of authority, of teaching, uh, you know, uh, authority. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. 
Sounds like some parents instructing their kids, right? Do what I say, not what I do. That's what Jesus says. Like, look, what they say is good. Don't follow them because they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. Talk about bad news. Jesus, look, these guys have experienced something good about God, but it has become bad news for everyone around them. Two reasons. Number one, he says, they don't practice what they preach. Now, some of you are going, so glad I'm not a preacher. Glad I'm not a pastor. I'm off the hook on that one. You're not off the hook. I hate to break it to you. That's not literally only preaching. Uh, let me give you an example. Has anyone who put a sticker or a window cling on their, their back window uh, noticed a difference in your driving this week? I know some of you have because I've heard about it. Uh, in fact, your campus pastor, sweet Aaron Walton, one of the nicest men I've ever met in my life, told me a story of, you know, he, it's, it's still, you know, funny because it's Aaron. But he, I was going to tap on my brakes because someone was, you know, tailing me. But then I remembered I had a window cling on my back window and I couldn't do it. I thought, yes, that is practicing what you preach. So here's what we do. Well, I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm not going to preach anything. I won't tell anybody about my faith. I won't claim to be a Christian. No one will know I go to church. That way I'm never guilty of that. And that's missing the point. You see, you begin to realize you are the church. So you are the natural extension of, of the church as you go out. And whatever you claim to be about, whatever you say you believe, are you living consistently with it all the time? That's why we're giving you tools like window clings and shirts to equip you to be that all the time, to remind you that you are always the church in whatever setting you're in. And these guys were not practicing what they preached. They said it the right way, but they did not live it out. And the second thing Jesus says is they, they create these cumbersome loads for everyone else and they will not help others. So basically what they say, hell, oh, you want to experience God the way I've experienced God? Here's the 18 things you got to do. They create these checklists. And people go, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm sorry, you won't be able to, to get in. And Jesus says, you don't even do anything to help people to, to get through that. And so I've just been thinking about this as, as what kind of a church will we be? The church that is it said of us that, oh yeah, they, they create a cumbersome load for others. They don't practice what they preach or would it be the opposite? They go, oh, wow. It's so easy to see the gospel in that community. See, as a church, it's our desire that we would make it very easy for people to see and experience the gospel. That we would not create a whole bunch of rules and regulations. In fact, I would say it this way. If you come into our church, we don't expect you to behave the way we behave. We don't expect you to believe what we believe if you don't even call yourself a Christian. Why would we? We just want to welcome you here and invite you into the process and invite you to experience the same Holy Spirit who's challenging me. And that Holy Spirit can challenge you as well. In fact, the early church had to figure this out. If you keep reading it to the book of Acts and the early church is trying to figure out in real time, hey, we've got new people coming to the faith. How do we figure out what they have to do to be saved? What do they have to do to be Christians? And you have this Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15 where there's this debate because you have Jewish Christians who were previously Jews, then they become Christian. And then you have these Gentiles who are not Jews who wanna become Christian. And there's this debate, do they have to do all the Jewish things as well as the Christian things? Because we did. Do they have to do what we did? And there's, they're, they're mixed on it. But then this incredible conclusion comes out of this council in Acts 15, verse 19. It says, it is my judgment, therefore, 
that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It's an incredible conclusion. We should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God who are different than us. Church, we want to aggressively pursue this. We want this to be said of us. Like, oh, abundant life, that's a place where they do not make it difficult for others who are turning to God. And we might go, oh, that sounds so great. I, I, of course, I want to be a church like that. Uh, that sounds great in theory until you realize what it means for those of us who are already in. Here's what it means. Those who have the good news, those who have the good news must risk their comfort for others to experience it. That's what it meant in Acts 15, that the Jewish Christians had to get a little bit uncomfortable for Gentile Christians to be able to experience the good news. And it's the same today, that those of us who say, we have the good news, great. Well, guess what? It's not about you anymore. You're going to have to risk your comfort for us to be in an environment, a community that makes it easy for others to experience the good news. And this begins to shape the way we do church. We are not going to make it difficult for others who are turning to God. And so again, this is shaping all the decisions that we're making. Now, last week I rolled out a new logo and I said, hey, this logo has meaning. I wanna explain it to you now and encourage you to write this down because uh, it's gonna help you understand a lot of the things that we're gonna do. And I want you to be able to explain this to someone. So if you see this logo, here's what I want you to realize. This is obviously a mountain range, but the word that I want to come to your mind when you see that, that logo is the word movement, okay? The word movement, why? Because we want God to move all of us. Every single one of us. If you're here today, it's your first time in church ever. You don't know what you think about God. That's amazing. I want you to move closer to Jesus. If you've been a follower of Christian for 40 years and you can't even remember when you were not a Christian, that's amazing. I want you to move closer to Jesus. Every single one of us is making a commitment to say we will move wherever God wants us to move. One of the worst things that happens to Christians is when we get convinced, I have arrived. I know it all. Come, gather around. I will tell you my opinions and my theology and my doctrine. It is perfect. You know, drink from it. And people are like, oh, what is that? And yet so many Christians are like, I've got this all figured out. I've already read the Bible. I know it all. And we stop going, God, could you teach me something new today? Could you show me something new today? Is there anything in my life you want me to change that I'm currently doing. And so for all of us, we make this commitment that this is a culture of movement. We look at the Holy Spirit every day and go, what do you want to do today? How do you want to change us, grow us, challenge us, make us uncomfortable? Whatever you want, that's the kind of community we want to be. I think of something that the author Donald Miller said. He said, if the point of life is the same as the point of a story, the point of life is character transformation. So think about the greatest stories that you love, the novels, the, you know, the, the books you've read, the, the movies you've seen. What is it that you love about that story? Probably an element of character transformation. Some character could see things at the end that they couldn't see at the beginning. They, 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 they you know, transformed themselves. They evolved as a person. They go, oh, it's so amazing to see who they ended up. Why do we think God doesn't want to do the same thing once we become a Christian? Oh, I've arrived. I've already been changed. Great. It happens every single day. Every single day you wake up, all right, God, what do you want to do? How do you want to transform me today? And we should approach every single day like that. We should hold this truth with open hands and go, God, what do you want to teach us? How do you want to shape us? And so we've picked a logo that in intentionally communicates this is about 
movement. And so this logo also represents our new discipleship process. Now, what's a discipleship process? That's how we as a church say, hey, if you come in here and you have no understanding, no experience with Jesus, how do we help you begin there and get on this journey of discipleship, of looking more like him, right? There, there should be some ways that we help people through that process. And the reason why we can so aggressively say, we're going to make it very easy for those who are turning to the Lord is because we know that once they, they begin to see that, we're going to keep inviting them to move along with the rest of us because that's what we're all going to be about. And so, uh, again, I encourage you to write this down. Each level of the mountain represents a, a stage of this process as it looks in this community. So we would say it begins by we want you to meet Jesus. That's the simplest way we can say it. Hey, how do I know well, this is good news? We want you to meet Jesus because Jesus is the good news, and I want you to meet him. And if you're here today and you're like, I've never met him before, please come forward and pray with one of our prayer partners after service. They would love to help you figure out how you can meet Jesus for yourself. It's available to you right now. Meet Jesus. It all begins there. And once you meet Jesus, you're like, wow, this is amazing. He changes everything. And then we say, we want you to experience good news. Now, when you meet Jesus, you begin to realize this sounds like good news. This is like going to free me some stuff. But once you begin to experience it, you begin to see it lived out. That's why I want us to be the church that shows people the gospel. We don't talk about the gospel. We show it to people. You come in here and you go, wow, this community is different. What is going on here? We're like, no, we want you to experience good news. Not hear about good news. Experience the good news in community. And so it begins, okay, I met Jesus, I've experienced the good news. Okay, now what? Then we're going to challenge you. We want you to start to learn how to see others. See others. This is where it begins. Because if you, you know, I would say a lot of Christianity only has these two. Oh, I'm going to meet Jesus, I'm going to experience the good news. Great for me. And we're saying, no, 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 you're not done yet. Because we want you to learn how to see those around you. Begin to listen to other narratives, other perspectives. Learn to understand the needs of other people other perspectives. And that's how you begin to realize, how do I make the gospel good news to you? What is your point of view? Why is it not good news to you? And we're going to be a culture that encourages you. See the people around you. See them the way that our culture will tell you you don't need to see them. And our culture is going to tell you, oh, just join your own tribe and just be about you. We're going to say, no, learn to see others. And once you begin to do that, you begin to realize, I want all these things that I've experienced, I want others to experience that as well. And we're going to say the final stage we're going to invite you to do is give yourself. Begin to realize I could be the catalyst for this person to experience the good news for themselves, for this person to meet Jesus. I could be the reason why that happens. It's the amazing process of the church. And here's what you realize. This is our mission statement lived out in a community. This is how we give ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. You begin by meeting Jesus, experiencing the good news, seeing others, giving yourself. And this is the process. We're going to align our church around and go, this is how we live out this mission. And when you see this logo, I want you to think movement, every single one of us. Because here's the deal. It's linear in this point of view, but it's circular in the sense of once you get up to here, you're inviting others to this. And you keep bringing other people to begin their own journey. And that's what we want all of us to do. That's how we become a community that lives out this mission for others. That you would experience the good news. But then you would share that good news with those around you. And together we are all growing. We are all moving closer 
to what God has in store for all of us. Now, next week, I hope you will be here. I'm going to tell you how this has caused us to rethink membership. If you've been around church for a long time, churches, you know, have a, a kind of a different way of understanding membership. We've done a deep dive. What does membership need to look like with all of this in mind? And so I want to invite you back next week. We're going to rethink membership together. But here's what I want to uh, begin wrapping this up with a, a simple question. Because this can be kind of a challenging message or maybe a little bit of a downer like, oh, man, the gospel sounds like bad news for a lot of people. Well, let me ask you this. Who showed you the good news? If you're here today and you say, a gospel is good news for me, somebody showed it to you. It may have been a parent, may have been a friend, may have been a family member. Who showed you the good news? If you can think of somebody, I encourage you to write their name down right now. And maybe even you need to just tell them thank you today. Hey, I just wanted to say thanks. Thanks for living that out. Thanks for giving yourself to the gospel in such a way that it continued to be good news for me and I was able to see it. See, I could tell you people in my life who showed me that the gospel was good news. I'm incredibly grateful for them. This community has scores of people who have showed others that the gospel is good news. But the challenge for all of us is be that person for someone else. Be the person that someone else is writing down right now and going, you are the one who showed me that the gospel is good news. And you begin to realize how simple this is. That it just takes someone who sits you down and goes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you that there is really good news. I'm gonna balance out all the other things that you've ever heard. I want to close by reading a story. It's called The Parable of the Life-Saving Station. And I think this story is so profound, and it's an incredible challenge to us as we look ahead to go, what kind of a community will we be? What, what will be our focus? Will it be on us or will it be on others? Here's what it says. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, and with no thought for themselves, they went out day or night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this little station, so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved, and various others in the surrounding areas, wanted to, be, to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought and new crews were trained and the little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds. They put better furniture in a large building. And now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members and they redecorated it beautifully, and they furnished it as a sort of club. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them had dark skin, and some spoke a strange language. And the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club, where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. 
Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal life pattern of the club. But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that they wanted to save the life of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit the seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, only now most of the people drown. So the question for us becomes, will we be a club or will we be a life-saving station? Will we be a community known for how we look out for us, how we design things for us, how we expect our opinions, our preferences to be met? Or will we be a community that is known for how we give of ourselves for others? How we are so committed to other people that we just give ourselves away. What if in the communities where we had people, what if it wasn't true that 69 to 80% of people walked away from the faith because they had seen that the gospel was still good news? Let's pray together. Jesus, would you use a church like us a people like us, broken, flawed, and selfish. To catch a vision of something bigger. To realize the unbelievable opportunity in front of us. That you have entrusted the gospel to us. You have given it into our hands. And if we decide that we don't care about others, we won't listen to their stories, we won't learn how to see them, we won't make it easy for them to experience what we've experienced then the gospel will cease to be good news. But if we will give ourselves, if we will surrender our lives the way you modeled for us, then the power of the gospel continues to be good news. The people begin to realize that they can see the good news lived out. They can be a part of a community that models it, that puts it on display for the world to see that this is unlike anything else. God, would you use people like us? Would you ignite a fire in us? Would your Holy Spirit breathe on us and send us out? May we realize we are your church. We are your good news to the world when we live our lives surrendered to this gospel. May we be so focused on others that more and more people see the good news. We pray that you would empower us and equip us and challenge us. In Jesus' name and all God's people said.